several times. They've been through it. Well, we're in a series, uh, a different kind of faith. Uh, let me say, let me start off by saying once again, I try to remind you every week, uh, thank you for honoring us with your distancing and mask. And I just love watching it. I've wondered through the, wondered how the church through the centuries has handled different challenges. And this happens to be our challenge right now. And so I, I am a student of history, and I know some of those challenges. So it's uh, very interesting to watch you all kind of walk over, and everybody's gathering from the four corners wearing masks. And I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to you. It uh, means a lot to our leadership, means a lot to our county that we would do that. So we're in a series, A Different Kind of Faith. This is a series that Mark and I dreamed up last fall, actually, before Mark left. Several of you have asked me, especially the visitors, what Mark is doing and why he's not here. Mark left, uh, Mark and Jenny left last fall because, as all public knowledge, um, cardiologists called him in and said it was time for her to leave. She was on oxygen 24 hours a day by then, and uh, her heart was beginning to struggle. So he said, you need to leave, not tomorrow, today. And so she was gone within a couple of days. We honored them and they took off. And they're living in uh, Tampa Bay right now, Tampa Bay area in Florida, where um, they spent many, many, many vacations there. They have a church and have lots of friends. And Mark is praying about what to do so you can continue to pray for him. It's not the easiest time to look for a church position uh, right now. Uh, That's no obstacle to the Lord. So he's taking care of them. And uh, drop him a line. If you want their address, you can call the church office. You can get it. And say hello to them. And he often logs in and knows what we're doing. So Mark, if you're logged in today, greetings, brother. And I miss you. So we're doing a uh, we're doing a series, a different kind of faith that we talked about way back in the fall. Uh, how are we different? How are we as, a, as Christians different than the world around us, and we we have this image. If you were in the building, you'd see it up on the overhead. If you don't, you can see it on the website. But we came up with a, a visual of of God reaching down with an open hand, and that hand signifies a couple of things. One is He's the only God in history that reaches down to offer us something uh, in the way of grace. It takes a specific form. We've talked about reconciliation. We've talked about a variety of things. And so not only does he offer us something, but he invites us into something. And that's a relationship, a relationship with a personal God, which the ancients had not heard of or even thought of. But furthermore, whatever it is he offers us is meant to be extended elsewhere, given to somebody else. You've heard us say many times that we have been blessed so that we can bless others. We've been shown sorrow so that we can show sorrow to others. And you all know what I mean by that. So today we're going to talk about glory. Glory in the world of the mundane. Glory in the world of the mundane. So how on earth is glory something God extends to us? And even more important than that, how is it something that we extend to others? How does that work? So we're going to take a shot at that today. We're going to go back to uh, Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. By now, for those of you that have been around me any time at all, know that Matthew 19, or Matthew 19, Exodus 19, got to get in the right part of the Bible. See what happens when you teach all week long? Your brain gets tired and weary. Exodus 19 at the base of Mount Sinai, when God extends to them those wonderful words, if you obey me fully, I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Although the whole earth is mine, I will make you my prized possession. Aren't those great words? 
in a world where the gods never thought that way. Now you're slaves. We had this last week. We said picture yourself slaves. You're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai. You're in lawn chairs, so you're comfortable. But they were sitting on the edge of their sand dunes listening to all these words for the first time. They hadn't heard them. And so in Exodus 19, we have, and as I said, to me, this is the uh, this is kind of one of those benchmark passages which so many things flow. Um, here's what he says. Verse 10, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Now remember, they're in the desert. Okay, So this is a statement of sacrifice right here. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. All right. Can you imagine what it was like to have been brought out of Egypt? You're slaves. You hadn't met God yet. You're about to meet him. You hadn't met him. And uh, he shows up. You saw the ten plagues. You saw the incredible power demonstrated, which, by the way, is a very clear biblical concept. Experience precedes belief. That's all the way through the Bible. He shows his power, and then he invites them into a relationship with him. Our experience plays a very big role in how we understand God. And so on the third day, so you're there, you're sitting there, and you wonder, what is this God like? Is he like the Egyptian gods? Is he going to be harsh and demanding? Do we have to be afraid of him? What's he like? We don't know the answer to that yet because he hasn't introduced himself. So then all of a sudden he does introduce himself on verse 16. On the morning of the third day, so you're meeting God for the first time. This God who just said, you will be his his people and he will be your God. This is how he introduced himself. Now think about the world of the mundane, a boring place. They've been making bricks for an awful lot of years. And toward the end, it was a very harsh thing. They were making bricks without straw and not being treated very well at all. Now they've been in the desert for quite a while, a couple months. And guess what? They're meeting God. Here's how he introduces himself. You tell me if this sounds mundane. On the third day, on that morning, there was thunder and there was lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Wow. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Smoke billowed up from like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. At the, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Does that sound ordinary? There's nothing ordinary about it, is it? So the question we're going to ask in the beginning, how on earth does glory get passed from God to us and from us to others? By the way, if you think you would have been terrified, uh, you wouldn't have been alone. Um, in chapter 20, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with great fear and they stayed at a distance. So they start out close to the mountain until he terrifies them. And then in chapter 20, they're on the other side of the valley. They took off running. 
I just picture the whole nation of slaves going out that way and Moses chasing after him. What's the next thing he says? Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Are you out of your mind? Did you see what we just saw? There's nothing ordinary about this at all. What if that's like what each of you are like? What if that's what you were actually like? In a world of the mundane, you were like this mountain. Okay, so that raises the question, what actually is glory? The word glory, the word we use, is very hard to translate. It has this idea of heaviness. Um, In fact, that's one of the ways we translate it. Seriousness, the old English gravity. Um, It is so profound that it stands out. Oh, it stands out different ways throughout the Bible. But what is consistently true is that it stands out. It's so profound in a world that's just ordinary that it distinguishes itself by the way God reveals his glory. It's incredible. It's a very important word. The word glory occurs all through the Exodus event, all through the the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, Leviticus. The word glory appears all the time. And each time it reveals itself, it's showing something in a world that's ordinary, and glory is not ordinary. Okay? It's profound. It's not ordinary. Well, from there, if we jump all the way to the end of Exodus, they just finished building the tent of meeting, what we call the tabernacle, the tent. This is verse 34 of Exodus 40. When they were finished, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. That's what a tent is. So picture this, we're all in the desert. Each of you, each of the tribes has your, you have your little tents. So four of you tribes over there, four over there, four over there, and four over here. And we build this tent of meeting. It's just a tent for God to meet in, right in the center. When they finish, the glory of the Lord, this profoundness, this heaviness, filled the tent, filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In some way, it's tangible. That's how profound it is. It's tangible. Moses couldn't even go into the tent. It was so palpable, so profound, so incredibly different than what they had just seen. They had just put together the tent just built it. They've organized their nation around it, their tribes, and they put this tent in the center. Wham! And there it is. And guess what? We see it again. First Kings. First Kings chapter 8. They just finished now the temple. And so we read in First Kings, First Kings chapter 8, verse 10. When the priest withdrew from the holy place... They just finished the temple. It took several years to finish it. Now that's pretty ordinary. They're just construction workers working away, chipping away, creating things, carving things, sewing things, making things. And they put it all together. And God just patiently waits. 
Verse 10, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not even perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. His temple. Something extraordinary happened. And it's so, so real. It's so palpable that they couldn't even walk into the temple proper. They couldn't even go in. That's the glory of the Lord. What if that's what you were like? And you're all going, huh? How on earth is that possible? I'll tell you in a minute. Well, then uh, we learn that God's presence is there. But then when Moses, uh, Moses, when, uh, um, uh, when Solomon stands up to pray, he prays this incredible chapter-long prayer. It's worth reading the whole thing, but I'm going to read one section to you because this says something about the glory of the Lord. As for the foreigner, this is right in the middle of his prayer. It's one of my favorite passages. He's praying in front of the nation and he's lifting up his hands to the Lord. And he says, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but they have come from a distant land because of your name, for they will indeed hear of your great name and your mighty arm, hand and your outstretched arm. Makes you wonder how they would hear of it. That comes later. But they will hear. They will hear. When they come and pray to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asked of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house that I have built bears your name. You ever pray for your unbelieving friends? God, listen to their desires and their prayers. Give them what they're asking so they will know that you are God. You are God. One of my friends here applied for a position, not a believer. He and I spent a lot of time together. And I said, I'll pray that you get the position. And he, uh, a couple weeks later, he went through the interview process. Let's get together. We did. And he goes, well, I didn't get the job. Your God didn't answer your prayer. I said, welcome to my world. I'm not a, I don't have to defend God. That's between him and God. God can figure that out. I don't have to. So as we're talking, he said, well, actually what happened was they hired somebody else into that position. And this person said, I'll only come if you let me create a manager of operations, which is really what he wanted to do. So with a twinkle in his eye, he said they hired this guy and he'll only come if they create a new position, which they did. And they offered me that job, which is the actual job I wanted said, you rat. <laughs> you don't ever have to defend God. He's quite capable of defending himself. And that's what Solomon prayed. Lord, answer their prayer. Look inside their own hearts so that they will know that you are God. It's just great. It has something to do with mission. But then, you know the story? They slowly wandered away from the Lord. They, um, they begin to sin more and more. Solomon died, the nation divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. God started sending prophets after them. The northern kingdom is destroyed and annihilated. Pretty soon the southern kingdom is going to follow. So Ezekiel comes along. And here we have a picture of Ezekiel that's a little bit different. Okay, so picture this. This is how far they've gone 
a field. What they basically said in Jerusalem is that we are safe because God will never allow his temple to fall into pagan hands. So here is Ezekiel's vision. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings, rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the Lord was above them. This is a picture of the glory of God leaving. The thing that they never thought would happen for a thousand years, it happened. That's how far they had gone away from the Lord. What a sad, sad picture this is of the glory of the Lord departing. Right after this, they're exiled, scattered around the nations. They knew that they had been scattered because of their sin. They understood that. Even when they came back from exile, the glory of the Lord never came back to the temple. They knew. Along come Ezra and Nehemiah and they read their books and say, let's read the law to the people so we never repeat this again. And one day, the glory will come back. So now I'm going to fast forward. John chapter 2, the wedding of Cana. It's a story that you all know. Here's how John chapter 2 starts. On the third day, wedding took place. Now, if you look at the chronology of John, this is not actually on the third day. You see, this is the same phrase used in Exodus 19. On the third day, get the people ready, I'm going to meet them. Exodus 19 became one of those benchmarks. On the third day meant the glory of the Lord was going to be revealed. It's a theological concept. It's like our 4th of July. When I say 4th of July, what do you think of? Fireworks, liberty, freedom, right? Automatically, it just brings to mind all these ideas. On the third day, brings along all these ideas of the coming of the glory of the Lord. On the third day, and then you have the wedding of Cana, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Glory reappears on the scene. It does. Glory reappears in the form of Jesus. That causes John, John chapter 1 is reflecting back. The word of the Lord, the word I mean became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. You see the glory did come back. It did come back. Several hundred years later, came back in the form of his son. Okay, now what's that got to do with us? Let's go back to the passage that we've read several times. You heard uh, Rob read it this morning, 2 Corinthians 3. And look what he says. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is what we used a month ago to discuss when the mask comes off. When we get to take the mask off, Okay. When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, 
contemplate, and you could also translate that, all your Bibles say this, reflect the Lord's glory as we're being transformed. You see, as we begin to gaze more and more into into the eyes of the Lord, we begin to see that glory, envision it, Christ is the image of God. Then he goes on a little bit further in verse 6. For God who said, let, shine out, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You see, God reve- uh, Jesus reveals the glory of the Lord to us. And then as we contemplate that and we gaze into his face, we begin to reflect his glory as well. The very next section we talked about last week. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That passage we talked about last week. You see what happens is, as we gaze into the eyes of the Lord, we understand that glory and we begin to reflect that glory more and more. So you know how I see the glory today? Every time I have coffee and I'm looking in your eyes. What does Matthew 6.22 say? The eyes are a lamp to the soul, to the body. The eyes are important. I don't care about the mass. The smile is wonderful. I love your smile. But the eyes. And it's amazing to me over the years, I've done this now seven years, I've been here seven years, had lots of coffees with you. As I'm looking into your eyes, I can see that twinkle. You can see it. There's nothing mundane about that. It's just as powerful as what he did on the mountain. In fact, in the class this week, I was talking to the students. Many of them are young pastors. And I said, when I'm sitting across from someone, these are the things I have heard sitting across from you. I'm sleeping with another woman. Oh. Okay. I'm, uh, I have an addiction to pornography. Oh, okay. I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And you also have the other ones where people are excited. Don't get me wrong, it's not all people confessing sin. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what is being said. I, I always have this thought. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat because I'm witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I think every time. Every time. Somebody confesses sin, somebody confesses a praise, that can only be done because of the Holy Spirit. So when I'm sitting there, I have this, it's a breathtaking experience to say, I'm watching a miracle happen right here in front of me. There's nothing mundane about that. Nothing at all. It's the same as what happened in Mount Sinai. It's just that it's an individual now. Because when the glory of the Lord returned to the temple, he returned to the new temple. Who is that? Us. The spiritual temple. So we all with unveiled faces, 
We not only see the glory of the Lord, but we reflect the glory of the Lord. You see, the Lord did return. The Spirit of God did return. The glory of the Lord did come back. He just came back to the true temple. Us. So when I'm sitting there across from you, that's why I said, title glory in in a world that's very mundane. When I'm sitting across from you, whatever you're about to say to me, I am convinced I'm watching a miracle because I see the twinkle. Even the sin can't extinguish that miracle. That's sin. It's not possible. So Paul can say in 1 Corinthians that, that uh, don't you know that idolaters and adulterers and blah, blah, blah will not inherit the kingdom of God? And that is what you were. But now you've been washed, you've been regenerated, you've been justified. You now have the Spirit of God. So even when I have people, it's breathtaking when somebody says, I'm struggling with greed or I'm sleeping with another person because the twinkle is still there. And I'm watching the Holy Spirit firsthand do his job. It's called conviction, the thing I can't do. I can't bring about conviction, I can't redeem, and I can't uh, transform anybody. That's uniquely the role of the Holy Spirit. So I have to go along for the ride and wait for him to do his work. And I love that feeling of sitting, told the pastors this week, I'm sitting on the front row of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's what it feels like every time I have coffee with somebody because I have no idea what's about to transpire, but I know whatever it is, the Holy Spirit's involved. So when I look in your eyes, I don't need the mask off. I can see the twinkle. To me, that's no different. No different at all than what happened in Mount Sinai. Because in a world that is mundane, I talk to non-believers all the time like you do, And the life just kind of just keeps going on. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting with somebody who is different. Do you understand the picture? You see, God did what no other God would do. He decided to reflect his glory toward us and then allow us the same privilege of reflecting that glory outward. So Paul's great benediction in Ephesians 3, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, to him be the glory in the church. Here it is right here, friends. Right here. You are a replica of Mount Sinai. You're a replica of Cana the wedding of Cana. You're a replica of Jesus reflecting the glory of the Lord in his face. That's what you do. Nothing mundane about that. There's nothing mundane about a church. Nothing mundane at all. You folks are extraordinary. Remember that next time you're looking in the eyes of your spouse, your child, your friend, Whatever they tell you, they're happy, excited about something, they're sad about something, they're struggling with some kind of sin, whatever it is, look for the twinkle. That's the evidence of the glory of the Lord. That is not mundane. That is supernatural. Father, thank you. Thank you for, unlike all the gods of the ancient world, thank you for being willing to let us see your glory 
in very creative, powerful, extraordinary ways, but never mundane. And somehow, however you do it, that's your work, not mine. Thank you for letting us get to share that by being together and looking in each other's eyes and see that same twinkle that Jesus must have had. I can't wait to look in his eyes one day face to face and see it. But I've seen it many times already in the eyes of many people. Thank you. We're so grateful to be called your children, to be your prized possession, and to call you our God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, it's time to put your mask back on. I'll pause just for a second while you put them on. Here's what happens next. Normally right now we take the offering and we share communion. Um, We have four communion tables, one, two, three, four, at each of the four sections. There will be an elder or volunteer there. Uh, We practice touchless communion. You'll take your own little cup with bread, your own little cup with juice. But whoever's there will bless you. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. If you desire, there's a place to place your offering. Although I I know many of you mail it in and do it online, and that's okay. We're just grateful that you take such very good care of us and all of our funds. Thank you for that. Uh, There are many churches, I found out this week in my class, several pastors, their churches are really struggling financially. And you've made that possible, that that's not one of our struggles. And we're grateful. So while they're playing music, you can go get in line. Remember your distancing, okay? You can take your mask off while you take communion. Put it back on, especially when you're talking to people. And uh, enjoy the peace of Christ. That's why he came. Keep the eyes twinkling. Let the glory of the Lord shine. Go in peace. You're dismissed.